0: Hello and welcome to this Reality Church London Conversation. I'm Luke Hamilton and today I'm joined by our Lead Pastor Bajan Mirtiloui and a special guest Rich Velodas, joining us live from New York. This conversation is around Sabbath and practices of rest. There really is some great wisdom shared, so grab your notebooks as we embark together on this conversation around learning to rest and Sabbath well. Rich and Bajan, welcome! For those who don't know Rich, Rich Velodis is the Brooklyn-born lead pastor of New Life Fellowship, a large multiracial church with more than 75 countries represented in Elmhurst, Queens. Rich holds a Master of Divinity from Alliance Theological Seminary and is a key speaker for Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which many RCL I know have read. He's been married to Rosie since 2006 and they have two beautiful children. In 2020, Rich released his first book titled The Deeply Formed Life, marked as a roadmap to the richly rooted place we all yearn for, a place of communion with God. So to tell us more about why this is such an important conversation for our church right now, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Bijan.
1: Well thanks Luke and Rich, thank you so much for being with us today for this conversation. And in short, I feel like there are few conversations that are as urgent as this one, talking about Sabbath and the practice of rest, not only because learning how to rest is always an important discipline in our spiritual life, but as I've been getting to know the joys and the struggles of folks in our church over the past few months, one of them has been, what does it mean to rest well in seasons of a pandemic and a lockdown? Because as the UK is in one of its more severe lockdowns, Uh, since this started about a year ago, uh, all of our lives are now blurred. So we work from home, we socialize from home, we shop from home, we exercise from home, and then we try to rest from home. And what does it look like then to rest well and to have a healthy understanding and practice of Sabbath? And when I thought about folks that we could invite in to have a conversation with us, Riches was the first name that came to my mind He's had a huge impact on me thinking about pastoral leadership, racial reconciliation, emotional health, and especially Sabbath. And so, Rich, I'm really thankful for your time. And we're really excited for this conversation to learn from you about Sabbath and the practice of rest.
0: So let's jump right in and start with a definition. Rich, what is Sabbath?
2: yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that I can explain what Sabbath is, and maybe I'll start from uh, the micro and go into the macro here. Uh, Sabbath really is it's a day of rest uh, in, in its most uh, uh, simplistic form. It's a day of rest. And if you move outward, uh, it is a twenty four hour period, not like a metaphorical, a spiritual, an allegorical period, like a literal twenty four hour period that's marked by uh, certain qualities of stopping our work of resting, of delighting, of contemplating and worship. Uh, The Sabbath is a a spiritual formation practice, moreover, in that it helps us to to live into the rest that's ultimately found in Christ. Uh, And in that respect, it's, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel of grace in that we accomplish nothing on the Sabbath, intentionally so, and God loves us with an everlasting love. And so it begins at a day of rest. And ultimately, it's a picture, a glorious picture of the gospel of grace. Rich,
1: I'm curious. I've heard you talk a little about Sabbath before, and it's always helpful. But I'm wondering, when and why did the practice of Sabbath become important for you personally? Uh, you you seem to talk about Sabbath From the overflow of your own life. And I'd love to know when and how it became such an important part of your life and your rhythm.
2: Well, it's funny enough, uh, it became a part of my rhythm because my predecessor, Pete Scazzaro, said if I didn't keep Sabbath, I was going to get fired. So, (laughs) so, uh, great motivation. So, so I just, uh, I guess I better do this thing here. So, I've been practicing Sabbath now almost 13 years. I've been at New Life almost 13 years. And Uh, When the conversation, the interview uh, process was taking place, uh, and I was about to become a pastor at New Life, Pete said to me, Rich, the only way you'll get fired as a pastor at New Life, and I kind of like perked up a little bit, he said is, if you don't take the time to keep Sabbath and rest, because you will not have the kind of life with God that will sustain the work you're doing for God. And uh, at that point, I thought, well, I better start trying this thing here. So, uh, almost 13 years ago, started practicing it uh, because my job called for it. And then I found out very soon after that my soul was uh, in, in great need of this weekly rhythm of worship and rest and delighting. So, uh, But it started as a, my part of my job description, uh, but I realized this is what it means to, to follow Christ in a way that leads to a wholeness and a, a deep life with God.
1: What were some of the, beyond the motivation of keeping your job, what were some of the early influences that helped you think about the practice of Sabbath? I don't know if it was Pete's influence in writing and thinking and teaching, or if there were other voices that were contributing to how you, at that time at least, were starting to think about what Sabbath would look like for you and for your family.
2: You know, I would be reading, uh, Pete, of course, was quite significant, and some of the other uh, writers, whether it was Abraham Heschel who uh, wrote on the Sabbath, or uh, whether it's someone like Lynn Bab, or some of the spiritual formation authors, um, you know, of our day, that they were writing in such a way that I was just intrigued by uh, this notion of rhythms and rest, and coming from an environment uh, I became a Christian as a 19-year-old, and coming from a, a home in which my parents worked very hard, uh, we didn't have much rhythms of rest. Uh, and then coming from a church context in which it was always evangelism and being on mission and doing the next thing, hearing about uh, a, a, a working from a place of rest was revelatory for me and revolutionary. Uh, So uh, little by little, I would read some things, but I think ultimately it was the context of new life uh, that I was entering into that shaped me more than anything else because it was the particular culture that I found myself in.
0: Rich, a huge congratulations on your book that came out last year, The Deeply Formed Life. There was one specific quote which I can't stop thinking about, it really has stayed with me, and it's when you talk about Sabbath as not just rest from making things, but it's rest from the need to make something of ourselves. And as you know, we're a church in the heart of London, a city where for many the drive to make something of ourselves is strong. It's often something we've heard from a very young age. So how can we practically move from having this desire during Sabbath?
2: You know, uh, we, we know exactly that same feeling in New York City. Uh, tons of people move to New York City to, to make a name for themselves, to, to make it here. And, and that's, the, that's the beauty of the Sabbath and, and really the call of, and the invitation of the Sabbath where it's not just simply putting down the laptop and, and stopping your work or whatever you're creating. Uh, really the deeper reality before us is, how do we live from a place where we don't need these things to feel validated as a human being, that we don't need to accomplish and perform in such a way that we feel that we need to earn God's love and the approval of others around us? Uh, I like to say that, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, the, 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 the story of the people of God was such that They were enslaved under a pharaoh and then they get delivered. Uh, But for us, uh, there is this interior pharaoh that we all have, the slave master that says, if you stop working and performing and producing, you're going to die. And so the call to keep Sabbath is an invitation. It's a very difficult invitation because there's so many stories and narratives and, and histories that have shaped us culturally Uh, with our families of origin, that our values based on what we accomplish. The Sabbath really is an invitation to say, no, no, your your life is much more than that. Uh, And uh, which is why we need a weekly recurring invitation. I did, you know, the the notion of I'm going to not just stop doing things, but stop trying to make something of myself. uh, That didn't just come immediately. And to this day, it's something I still wrestle with. I, you know, I I, there's this residue of Pharaoh inside of me that I need to make something of myself. The Sabbath basically says, no, you don't. You're loved by God. No, you don't. God's grace is sufficient. Uh, but we need this regular practice, week in and week out, to kind of silence those voices and eradicate those idols that are really deeply rooted uh in our hearts. So I don't want to romanticize this and idealize this to say. Man, you keep the Sabbath and all those uh, motivations and, and, and the things that we're trying to uh, form our lives are just going to just be eradicated just like that. It's not that simple. But I have found over the years that the Sabbath has positioned me to live not from a place of striving, uh, but really from a place of receiving the love of God and living from that center.
1: Rich, as we continue to think about the pandemic and the impact that it's having on our spiritual lives, um, I've found this tension, and I wonder if you have too, where people are more aware of their stress, their anxiety, some of the burnout that they might be going through, but are at the same time finding rest to be harder than it's ever been, uh, more elusive Um, And I think that has to do with the way we began the conversation was the idea that our lives are so blurred now, it's hard to have different spaces for different things. So I'm curious, A, if that's what you're seeing in your ministry, and if not, that's fine, but I would love to know, A, are you seeing that? And then B, uh, how are you helping your people navigate these really new surroundings? You know, now it's been about a year as they think about the practice of rest
2: it's not just the experience of my people, it's my experience as well. And, and you know, I, I live in my, uh, 900 square foot apartment here in, in Queens, uh, with an 11 year old daughter, a six year old son. We are always within arm's distance of each other. It seems, uh, you know, for some of us, and I imagine for pastors, it's a little different because it's, where are we're, we're it's hard to say we're ever off the clock, you know? So uh, for us, the lines are even more blurred where when does work begin, when does it end? For some folks, they leave the office, they come home, they'll think about work the next day. Uh, But in this pandemic, as more people are working from home, you're exactly right, the lines are blurred. Which is why for me, how do we create, the question is how do we create uh, a container uh, that's different from the rest of the days. That's, and that's what the Sabbath is. That's a good phrase from Abraham Heschel that the Sabbath is to look different than the others. How do you do that? Well, I do think, you know, the four words that I talked about at the beginning that marks a, what I believe, you know, a biblical Sabbath is this stopping this resting delighting and contemplating. It is that delighting aspect of it that I really think, uh, serves as the the, the the life force behind the Sabbath. Because the older we get, the more delight deficient we become as adults. And I think if we can cultivate a sense of delight, which is what the Pharisees in the New Testament, they did not have that, which is, I think, they, they, you know, they were delight deficient. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. This is a, a delightful act of restoration. And they're upset with it, you know. Uh, and I, I do think that's our story as well. So how am I trying to do it? I I think for me and for the people that I try to serve, I'm asking a very simple question. What are the things, who are the people uh, that what are the practices that truly give you life, that refuel you, that energize you, that connect you deeply to God and to yourself and that produce joy For me, that's the singular most important question about creating a container around the other days. What produces deep joy in you? And for some, it might take a while to give a satisfactory answer to that because our lives are often oriented the other way. It's what do I need to accomplish, what I need to do, not what brings me joy. And I think the Sabbath truly is a day of restorative joy. And that's a very practical question. What gives you joy in in such a way that you feel restored? Now, one day a week, how do we intentionally plan for that? Um, That's the, uh, I, I think one of the ways that we're trying to navigate this pandemic in a world that's increasingly very blurred from one day to the next.
0: So we know for many listening, Sabbath will look very different depending on people's situations, people's lifestyles, people's circumstance, but I know many listening will be interested. What does Sabbath look like for you personally? What does your rhythm of work and rest look like in practice?
2: Yeah, well, in terms of the weekly rhythms, our Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. Uh, And... Uh, That's typically uh, the the Jewish community. They usually begin at sundown on Fridays into sundown Saturday. Uh, And so uh, I've adopted that. I think uh, depending on whatever your schedule is, your work schedule, that's going to adjust from person to person. But the goal is, I think, that we're working our way up to a 24 hour period of this kind of resting, stopping, delighting, contemplating, all of that there. So for me, it starts at 6 p.m. We usually have a candle on our dining room table uh, before we have a meal. We usually light it to remind us of God's presence over the next uh, 24 hours. We do blow the candle out when we go to sleep. Uh, We don't leave it out all night. Uh, And we usually pray like a Psalm 92 or just a prayer just to welcome this time of rest. Uh, and so that's how we typically just ritualize it in a healthy way. Uh, and then more beyond that, uh, the Sabbath is really, but what am I stopping doing? There's lots of joy in just stopping. And so what am I stopping? I'm not, I'm not responding to emails. I'm not taking pastoral calls. I'm not working on my sermon. I'm not strategizing. Uh, and that's intentionally so. Um, uh, now, if there is an emergency, which there's rarely ever an emergency, Uh, But when there is, you know, I I make adjustments, but 51 out of 52 weeks out of the year, uh, it's, I'm going to stop the work that I do. And then the question is, what am I going to start doing? For me, very simply, I, and this is a little different in a, in a pandemic, pre-pandemic, it was often, who are the people that I just enjoy? I just, I just enjoy being around them. Uh, It was often a a meal, whether for dinner, for lunch, for breakfast, we're having them over, we're going to their home, and it's just a time of delighting uh, and and joy there. What are the activities? For me, uh, sports is a huge thing for me. Uh, I love playing basketball. My Sabbath, it was often telling my wife, hey, honey, in the morning and afternoon, I'm going to go shoot some hoops and I'll be back in a couple of hours, uh, and then you know she's doing the same thing a little later in the day. Uh, there's particular uh, foods that we love to just order in uh, with on the Sabbath, uh, and so these are some of the uh, activities, the people, the rhythms, you know, on the Sabbath. I I take naps. Oh, what a gift! What what a, what? A, and and without guilt at all, you know, it's just like you know what. I'm just going to take another nap. Now I couldn't do that a couple of years ago with, with a three-year-old kid. My wife would be like, you can't nap right now. It's your turn to be with the kid, you know, but now they're in a different phase. I can nap a little bit more, but I think that's what it looks like for me. There are key relationships, there are key activities. I'm going to stop doing the, my work. And over time, you know, when I think about it, it's, You know, it is this 24-hour period with no have-tos, with no shoulds, which over time is to result in deep rest and renewal. Uh, And so that's what I've experienced in my 13 years of keeping Sabbath. But that's just a, a taste of some of the things that I'm up to in New York City here.
1: Undoubtedly, Rich, there's going to be some folks listening to this conversation who are going to be really inspired. They're going to say, I want to do that. And then they're going to look at their schedule and they're going to be completely unsure about how to proceed because they have no rhythm of a Sabbath, let alone even a sort of rule of life or a schedule. And so how would you, what would be a first step? How would you guide someone if they're saying that sounds like a biblical ideal that I really want to live into and I just don't even know where to start. I'm not sure what my first practical step should be.
2: Yeah. And I hear that whoever's asking that question, you're not alone. Uh, I hear that over and over and over again. It's a great question. For me, um, I I think the invitation for those who are wondering is to start small. Uh, For those who have not had any taste of this kind of rhythm, of this kind of rest, of stopping your work, I'm fully aware of people that they're going 24 seven. And when I talk about uh, work, in stopping our work, what I mean is stopping our paid and unpaid work. That's just just an important nuance there. Uh, you know what what constitutes work for you? Stop. So if it's laundry, stop. Groceries, stop. Balancing the checkbook, stop. You know, at least those are the things that constitute work for me. Uh, those are the things that I'm stopping. So I would say for those wondering, the question is, where can you begin? Uh, You know, it's the same thing from a financial perspective. There are congregants who say, I believe in generosity. I believe in giving a tithe 10% of my income. But I just, I'm not in that place right now. We could do one or two things as a pastor. You could say, not good enough. Where's the 10%? Or you could say, where can you start and work your way up? And they go, well, I can start with 2%. We'll give 2% then. And by God's grace, work your way up. Uh, this is the same principle here with Sabbath. People are going to say 24 hours. Are you kidding me? I have all this stuff. Well, where can you start? Can you start with three hours where you're stopping, you're resting, you're delighting, you're, con- you're intentionally creating a container? Can you start with four, six, 12? Uh, maybe some can start with 24. So for those wondering how in the world did I do this? I think create uh, many kind of Sabbath moments and then work your way up to a 24-hour literal period where week in and week out,
0: you're living into a new rhythm. So for many, this last year has been lacking rest. It's been lacking a stable rhythm of Sabbath. We all know it's been a very strange year, but it's also been more than just strange. We've seen political unrest. We've seen very much needed conversations around race. For some, we've also witnessed firsthand death in relation to the pandemic. It's been a heavy year. Are there any tools that might help us to experience rest in response to not just busy schedules, but also to our broken hearts?
2: You know, look, it's a great question. And I think, uh, my response is that very true. There is this outer component of resting where, um, I'm, I'm focusing on my outer pace. And then there is this interior component of resting where I'm focusing on my, my inner space. So there's outer pace and inner space. And with regard to the inner space aspect of it, I do think the the wear and tear, the emotional wear and tear, the anxiety that we carry. I mean, there's anxiety uh, of, I mean, in, I don't know if you guys pay attention to the United States here, but there's anxiety on, on the political front. There's, you know, there's some, 2020 was very interesting. <laughs> uh, on the uh, racial justice front, very, uh, significant here and exhausting uh, from the pandemic from economic challenges there are there's a lot of wear and tear and so for for me i think the invitation is twofold uh, to pay attention to the weariness of our souls the first one is really about prayer and uh, i I would venture to say it's contemplative prayer it's a, a it's a meditative prayer, a slowing down kind of prayer. Uh, I'm in my bedroom right now in my chair. This is kind of like my my prayer chair, my work chair, my everything chair uh, in this pandemic here. And over the course of the year, the last 10 months, I have had many difficult conversations. I have had many troubling conversations. Uh, I'm about to have one in a couple of hours, just another conversation with a congregant in which... We, we see the world very differently. And these conversations are very troubling. Uh, and so for me, I've tried to receive the rest of God that God offers in Christ by simply opening myself up to God in silence and in solitude. Uh, I, on a regular basis, I'm here in this chair for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just opening myself up to the presence of Jesus uh, paying attention to my breathing, opening my heart to him. And so I think there's that element of prayer. I don't know if you're going to navigate a pandemic and all of the craziness be- before us without intentionally cultivating a life with God in prayer. I think it's impossible. But moreover, I also think paying attention to our point of anxiety is really important as well. You know, anxiety is this automatic reactivity uh, based on a real or perceived threat And, uh, much of our anxiety and much of our restlessness comes because we're not paying attention to the reactivity and the ways that our bodies are storing all this anxiety. So for me, it is prayer and silence and contemplation and beholding the beauty of God, uh, for our restless hearts. But it's also taking stock of what am I anxious about? Who's making me anxious What's the story that this anxiety is telling me? Uh, How do I receive new gospel scripts and messages to replace these messages that are debilitating? Uh, I don't know if this is going to happen without that level of reflection and prayerfulness. And so the invitation to Sabbath is not just an exterior thing about your rhythms. It's really about paying attention to what's happening beneath the surface of our lives. I don't know if it's going to happen outside of that.
1: Rich, as you unpack some of those things, it made me think so much of what we've experienced over the past year, it's not unique to 2020, but it did feel a little more acute. Uh, But there were just evils around us, whether it was evil that took the form of a virus or evil that took the form of racism. And one of the spiritual disciplines that God has given us to confront those kinds of evils is the practice of lament. Mm -hmm. And I wonder... If in, and I'm not sure about this. I'm really thinking about it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. If there's a connection between lament and Sabbath in any way, if there's any ways in which those two disciplines can intersect or can feed into each other as we kind of not only rest our bodies, but rest our hearts and you know, mm. come to God in prayer, bring our anxieties, how lament as a spiritual discipline might relate to that and, and fit in with it
2: that's, I mean, I have not connected those two there, uh, and I think that you're, you're making a, a really poignant observation. You know, when I think about lamenting and the Sabbath, I do see there's some significant correlations there. Um, in the Sabbath, we are offering our entire selves to God, uh, and, and that's at, at, at the core of lamenting. That's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's I'm offering, I'm not trying to conceal something from God. I'm offering my entire being to God, my joys, my fears, my grief, my sorrow. Uh, You know, it's I'm preaching on we're starting a series, a Lenten series starting this Sunday on the book of Job and how we meet God in lamenting and in suffering and in sorrow. And uh, I do see that as a significant point of correlation where the Sabbath is I'm, I'm, I'm resting, I'm offering my entire being to God my entire focus to God. And that's what lamenting is as opposed to cutting off a part of me um, and just bringing to God the things that I think God wants. I'm bringing my entire self, including my sorrows and sadness. And sadly, I think you're making this a, a really good observation. The church often very, very quickly just moves on because we don't have a theology of lament and grief and sadness. Um, and so I, I think the Sabbath and in this particular cultural moment offers some significant opportunities for us to bring our entire selves to God, including uh, or probably especially including uh, the lament that we carry but uh, and the grief that we carry. But I'm, I'll be thinking about that some more. I have not heard, uh, heard the connection of Sabbath and lament. There's much to chew on there.
1: That's for our next conversation at
0: some point down the road next conversation or a book I would very much pick up that read Uh, speaking of books once again going back to deeply formed life Rich you lay out a fresh vision for spiritual breakthrough specifically around five values contemplative rhythms racial justice interior examination, sexual wholeness, and missional presence. Having written your book, I'm guessing uh, the majority, if not all of your book, you would have written pre-COVID. Is there one of those values which you now see as paramount in a post-pandemic world?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a a great question. Uh, To some degree, when I wrote this, I wrote this because I see these issues as perennial issues that are coming up over and over again in our society. Uh, these values come out of our local church. And so these these five values are the five values that make up New Life Fellowship Church. What I was doing was trying to offer accessible language for people outside of our context to see how we're striving to follow Jesus here in Queens while also offering perhaps an ambitious reframe of spiritual formation. And so to some degree, these are all issues that are not new. You know, our society is harried and frenzied we need contemplative rhythms. Our society is frayed because of racial uh, injustice and hostility. We, we need this values of, of r- racial justice. We often live on the surface, uh, not really excavating what's happening deep in our souls and in our reactions. We need uh, this interior examination. Our society often compartmentalizes sexuality and spirituality. Uh, we need this value of sexual wholeness. How do we integrate it more effectively? Uh, Our society is marked by consumerism and and by indifference. How do we offer a missional presence to the world? So all these things are certainly pre-COVID issues. What the pandemic did, I think, was intensify and and show us the, the, the deep troubles and how the depth of these issues regarding race, regarding the pace of life that we live, regarding the mindless reactivity. Uh, that we often find ourselves living according to, instead of deep reflection, mindless reactivity. Uh, And so, yeah, these are big issues from before the pandemic, but uh, I think, which is why there's some resonance with these issues uh, in people, because the pandemic is just accentuating uh, these really painful, confusing realities that are before us. So Uh, I didn't think I knew it would resonate. I didn't think it would resonate this much. But the the pandemic is reminding us how deep these issues really are.
1: Rich, one of the images that we loved in the book was that of the redwood trees and its relation to spiritual formation. And I wonder if you'd be willing to unpack that almost as an appetizer for folks who haven't got their hands yet on the book, because we thought it was so powerful. And we'd love to draw them in to getting their hands on your material. So would you mind unpacking that?
2: uh thank you i i a few years ago i I was speaking at a church in, in a church in San Francisco area, and they were doing uh, a uh, a retreat in by the redwoods and um you know these massive trees i'm used to tall buildings you know not not re- these massive trees and I was just blown away by it. And uh, the first day before I was going to speak, one of the pastors got up and gave a little lesson on the redwood trees and basically said that these trees, which grow, you know, uh, you know hundreds of feet into the air, um, don't have the, the deepest roots necessary. Their, their roots go deep. But what's interesting is they're part of a root system that their roots expand some 100 to 200 feet away from the trunk. And they connect themselves to other roots, providing that level of stability that allows them to grow high into the sky. And so, when I heard that, I thought, "Whoa, this is!" I think the image that I that I that I was waiting for to think about spiritual formation uh, in our particular generation. Uh, we what I found is there is often this compartmentalization of formation, where we have. You know, whether you want to call it, you know, the evangelical kind of tradition, the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, the mainline progressive traditions, which are often oriented by right thinking, right experiences, and right action. And these things are often compartmentalized from one from another. For me, I'm thinking these redwoods are inviting us to be part of a root system. How do we combine the best of Our theological reflections? How do we open ourselves up to experiences from the Spirit? How do we engage? in the, the world in such a way that is paying attention to justice, mercy, and the common good. Uh, and so that those redwood trees gave me justice, which is why in the cover of the book, you'll see these roots under a city. Uh, that was the controlling metaphor for me, but uh, it impacted me deeply because I do want a life that's integrated. Uh, and is not just, okay, I'm going to be a person of prayer, but not pay attention to matters of justice, or I'm going to be a person who's committed to justice, but I don't really think about this emotional health thing. For me, I'm like, no, let's hold all of these things together because we need a robust spirituality as the church to engage the significant uh, issues that the world is wrestling with.
0: Wow, Rich, that was significant. Thank you. It really is yeah, exciting to think of us all at Reality Church London striving for that robust spirituality that you mentioned. So thank you. One final question as we come to a close for our conversation together today. Uh, There's one more piece that I would love to draw attention to in The Deeply Formed Life. You speak of uh, some ways that the church has missed the mark in the transformation that we seek. For example, we can make the mistake of seeing transformation as getting the right theology in one's head, while overlooking the inner work that God wants to do. So as a final kind of call to action for us as a church today, how would you define the transformation that all at Reality Church London should seek?
2: Ultimately, when I think about transformation, I'm thinking about being conformed into the image of Christ. For me, that is what transformation is. Transformation is not uh, simply self-actualization. Transformation is not... Uh, getting over an addiction. Transformation is not, here's a new spiritual practice that I'm giving myself to. Transformation at its core is being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul gets at in the book of Galatians when he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so for me, as a matter of just definition, uh, transformation can take on all kinds of cultural meaning. For me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is how is my life Looking more like Christ in my devotion to God, in my love for neighbor, uh, and so this is an invitation to a life of integration. It's an invitation to a life of integrity, uh, an integration to a life of of love, uh, invitation to a life of love. And I think ultimately that's where transformation is going to emerge from. Uh, from not just thinking the right things, uh, but opening ourselves up to God in new ways, uh, not just by engaging in the right Activities, but in living from a place of profound brokenness and humility, owning our own sins and confessing them, and opening ourselves up to the grace of God and giving out to others that grace as well. So, uh, for me, the deeply formed life—it's a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a newish way, a new language to say what I'm trying to get at is this ancient call for every Christian to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and uh, and that image is not just a A privatized thing. This is a a communal, this is a public, this is a personal thing. And I think our world is desperately uh, looking for people who can model this and embody this in our world. So at the end of the day, what do I want? I want people to look more like Jesus Christ and live more like Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm striving to do by the power and by the grace of God and by the power of the spirit
0: rich a huge thank you for being part of this rcl conversation we really do appreciate your time and for all the wisdom that you've shared with us today i'm sure everyone listening to this will agree that we're leaving this conversation inspired to sabbath well challenged to engage in these practices of rest but above all to seek the transformation to look more like jesus christ If you're interested in hearing more from Rich, then The Deeply Formed Life is available wherever you buy your books. It really is a beautiful but also very much a timely read, so I would love to encourage you to get your hands on a copy. Rich, thank you once again, and for all listening, we look forward to coming together soon for the next RCL Conversation. Goodbye for now.